Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. It is Wednesday, and this episode is brought to you by the Rio Plaza New York Times Square Hotel. It is located in the heart of the great city that is New York and is surrounded by emblematic sites such as Central Park, Rockefeller Center, the Empire State Building, Carnegie Hall, and the luxury stores on Fifth Avenue. Its extraordinary location makes the hotel the ideal spot from which to enjoy the authentic pace of New York life and an interesting array of cultural and leisure activities located in the heart of Manhattan. 29 floors, more than 600 rooms, has everything you need, fridge, desk, television, Wi-Fi, multimedia connections, air conditioning, heating, and everything else you need, surrounded by food, surrounded by a bunch of cool spots to hit. Um, if you haven't booked your hotel yet for this weekend where you will be attending the Real Madrid versus Atletico game, then coming seeing us in the, at the Playwright Irish Pub at 5 p.m. on Saturday, then coming out to our live podcast on Sunday night at the same pub for a live podcast, then make sure you book it at Hotel Rio Plaza, New York Times Square. You can book it at Rio.com. That's R-I-U.com. And the tickets to purchase, the link to the tickets to purchase um, our live show in New York will be linked in the show notes. You can click on it directly and and buy tickets. It's really the only time you'll see Gabe and I in New York um, doing a podcast together. So if you want to take advantage, make sure to buy tickets. We'll link it in the show notes. You can click on it directly. Today's episode is in two parts. Um, the first part is with David and Moyle um, of the Cultural Land Pod, ESPN, other places. We're going to talk about some Italian football stuff, including James, Napoli, Juve, Ronaldo, and also the injuries to Teo and Asensio, which unfortunately happened last night, and the state of the pitch. And then part two with Jeremy Baron of Into the Calderon to preview the Atletico game on Friday. And without further ado, here is part one with David Amoyle. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast. Thrilled to be joined by David Amoyal, who is making his Managing Madrid podcast debut. I was on his podcast last season, and uh, but I, I really wanted to find any excuse to talk to him because uh, uh, we just don't get to talk enough because we're both so busy. David, uh, host of the Calcio Land podcast uh, and does work for ESPN, The Athletic, among other places. Welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to be on. Thanks so much uh, for having me. It's uh, great to do the return leg on your podcast after so long. So thanks so much. When you when you do your podcast, you do them pretty regularly. Is there a time of because right now you're you're diving into transfer stuff, which is just crazy from start to finish. Is there a time of the season where you're like, okay, now I'm I get to like take a week off? Like, do you do you get that luxury in your life, or is it just nonstop? Well. Uh, I'm, I, I like to stay busy, so the transfer window is very busy for our podcast, but this is the time of year where I try to recruit new listeners. One of our you know, mottos is come for the transfer news, stay for the culture and the Serie A, so 
I really like working hard in the summer because a lot of the extra listeners that come in to find out about transfer stuff uh, then stay on board with Sedia. During the season, I have to say I really enjoy talking about the game, taking a break from the transfers. So we usually do two episodes a week, no matter what. My uh, co-host and producer, Alex Goldberg, who's blown up completely recently. Yeah, he's on fire. Has a good work ethic, too. So he keeps up to me. I mean, once in a while, if I'm on vacation, we'll have a guest host. But I don't think we've done the podcast for over two years. I don't think we've ever done less than two a week. It's uh, I I feel the same way about just keeping busy. Like it's it's so much fun for me that if I if there was nothing to talk about, I'd I'd find a way, dig up some old Real Madrid games, talk, watch it, rewatch it, talk about it. There's just it's nonstop the and endless the amount of topics we can talk about. Absolutely. We have we have limited time today. Um, I wish we had more. But uh, talking about some, we'll just stay on the transfer path for a second. One of the one of the things that we get continually confused about on the podcast, just discussing among managing major staff is like, where's the market for James Rodriguez? Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you discussed him on your podcast. I know you tweeted about him a little bit. Um, with, it seems right now it, it was down to two teams that were interested. And mm-hmm. now it seems like it's down to one. You know, it was Napoli Atletico. Now it seems like it's likely it's going to be Atletico. And yeah, why is it that Napoli pulled out, do you think? Is it because it seemed like Ancelotti wanted him and really pushed for it even publicly? He's like, we, we, still, we still want him. It's not over yet. Yeah. Why is it that De Laurentiis, because the confusing comments he made, he said, James is behind Ronaldo and Messi when it comes to marketing, but just behind, which I'm not sure if it's true. But then he went and twisted that, that by saying he's not worth what Rams are asking for. Is he playing hardball? Like, what, what's going on there? Well, look, I'm a big fan of De Laurentiis. I know he is bombastic, uh, very tough negotiator, but I personally wish there were more presidents in Serie A like him. But uh, the reality for Napoli is as great as they've been for their standards in recent years, and they've been playing in European competitions 10 years in a row. No other Serie A team can say that, not even Juve. They have a very limited budget as far as revenues. So Napoli have been incredibly careful in recent years with all the moves that they make, uh, really looking at how much each player costs them a year between wages, the amortized value of the transfer fees and whatnot. So Napoli are really playing on uh, extremely tight margins every year. And they do feel the competitive team every year. So I think with Hamas... He would have they would love to have him, but they'd really want to have him on loan with an option to buy because that would allow them to um, spread the payments over many years as opposed to purchasing him up front and uh, putting a lot of the money on this fiscal year from Napoli's perspective they their point of view is look Real Madrid loaned him to Bayern Munich why wouldn't they loan him to us uh from what I've been told though Hamas now really wants to go to a team on a permanent basis he would like to play for Ancelotti no doubt about it but he wants to go to a team where he is gonna be the man the other issue you know for Napoli is I think they can swing and his wages are considerable but they are a little bit weird when it comes to the marketing the image rights of their players there i would say the one of the few clubs that wants to retain 
all that and when a with a figure like Hamas, who maybe he's not the third in the world but he's definitely up there i think he has over 40 million instagram followers i mean he is a superstar it's dicey so to me napoli just to uh, meet his demands for salary and the image rights they can do it but then they have a really tight margin so at this point, I don't think it's going to happen for Real Madrid. You know, it is tough because I think you'd probably much rather see him at Napoli than Atletico Madrid. But Atletico Madrid now uh, want to buy him on a permanent basis. So as much as Hamas would love to go to Napoli and play Francelotti, uh, he wants to be on his own team now. So at this point, my guess is as we're recording this, that he'll be on Atletico. I, I, I think what surprises me more is that just the lack of market in general like I think there are he's clearly a very still talented player he's still young he's he hasn't really I don't think passed his peak yet I think he yeah. was very good 2015 16 14 those three four years but um the reality is he hasn't played much beyond that at Real Madrid and that Bayern Munich he was up and down but I think mostly yeah. good so you know I would have been interested to just see him under Ancelotti again because at Bayern obviously pretty much as soon as he got there Ancelotti got fired so we never really yeah, got to yeah, see yeah. that um, yeah. Juventus and um, but one year after the fact that Ronaldo left um, part of me I was looking at just like because it, it seemed like their finances got tight after signing Ronaldo but at the same time they they have this short window with him in his in, in in this phase of his career before he really declines um, to to win the Champions League. How much do you think he's moved the needle for him for for Juve since signing? I think tremendously, and I think you have to look at Ronaldo, both the results on the pitch and the branding marketing, which, you know, let's not have any confusion about this. That was a big part of the motivation for Juve as well. I mean, I remember while uh, last year was at the World Cup or whatnot, I mean, and they, they almost forget it because Italy wasn't there. I mean, I remember watching Fox here in the U.S. and they were talking about Juve and Ronaldo. I mean, that type of exposure wasn't happening before. So from that point of view, it's been tremendous. Uh, the, the Juve brand's really grown. And look, Juve as a whole in recent years, they've really tried to bridge the gap with the Real Madrid's of the world. So we had the change with the logo. Now we have the jerseys this year, which is maybe unfortunate, but there's a lot of marketing research why they did it that way. And Ronaldo fits that really well. So I think from a marketing perspective, it's been really good. I personally think he's gotten a bad rap for his impact on the pitch. I think it's very easy to say, look, Juve was winning Serie A title with or without him. That's absolutely true and that Juve needed him for the Champions League. And look, they fell short. They fell short to an Ajax team that I think in retrospect we're going to look back as a really, really strong team. It's going to be a team that we are going to remember, but it wasn't Ronaldo's fault. I mean, you look at what Ronaldo did after the group stages. He scored all of Juve's goals against Atletico, scored all of Juve's goals against Ajax. He scored five goals against these two teams, more than did his part. Like, Juve fell a little short. I think the timing of injuries hurt them, but that's part of the game. That's what it is. And I think this season, Juve 
the Delict edition, Rabiot, Ramsey, some of the moves they've made, they're clearly going all in. Makes sense to me. I think, you know, it's not just Ronaldo. It's also Chiellini is going to be 35 soon. They brought back in Buffon. So uh, I, I think the plan makes sense to me. But I think Ronaldo's gotten a bad rap. It's too easy to say, well, they brought him in for the Champions League. They failed. Well, it wasn't because of him. He more than did his part. But I think Juve is trying to make sure that they can have more difference makers on the team for uh, this run. But uh, your Real Madrid looks uh, really, really tough. I think the one thing that Juve may regret is the season that just ended where we saw in the Champions League. There really was a great opportunity for a team like Juve or PSG who goes in for the Champions League to win it all and they missed an opportunity. But uh, Juve squad looks... uh, stronger than last season going into this season for sure yeah they absolutely do and, and i think it was like <clears throat> you're absolutely right about it not being ronaldo's far- fault for the champions league because i mean something like what happened in the second leg in turin against atletico that doesn't happen without him yeah, and um, for sure you know those are the those are the moments you really sign him for just basically anything that happens after the group stages in the champions league and, and domestically yeah you probably win it without him but yeah but one thing that did strike me about Juve was their lack of midfield depth, which they kind of solved with Ramsey and Rabiot, but you know, we'll see how, how far that does take them. I think one of the things that's kind of fascinating about Juve is that Higuain, who we weren't sure about, is still in the squad. And then you have um, Keane and Mandzukic. Uh, and Dybala, who Sari seems to be interested in bringing back into the team. So... How do you see that depth chart panning out, and how how much do you think Sarri is going to change things from Allegri to get to get Juve over the hump? Well, I think the hiring of Sarri, I think Juve looked at the teams that tend to do well in the Champions League in recent years, and their style of play is much closer to Sarri's than Allegri's. I think the best performance we saw Juve in the Champions League was against Atletico Madrid, the return leg, when you mentioned it. And they had their backs against the wall. They had to make up a two-goal deficit against one of the best defensive teams in Europe. And then we saw that was the best performance from Juve maybe from the past two seasons, I would say, off the top of my head. So I think with Sarri, they're like, you know what, we're going to play like this regularly because now we have a coach that believes in this philosophy. Um, I think Dybala last season for him was really a, a debacle. I think more than if there's one player who struggled adapting to Ronaldo, It was him, him and Allegri, too, didn't have the best relationship. I think it's more likely than not Dybala is going to stay at Juve. And I think Sarri, who's already said he sees Ronaldo playing more on the wing for him, I think we're going to see Dybala play more in the false nine role. We saw Dries Mertens and Napoli play that role for Sarri brilliantly. Dybala has a similar body type. We saw Sarri try that with Hazard at Chelsea. Maybe it didn't work out as well as Mern. So I think if Dybala stays, and again, I think it's more likely than not he does, that he's going to be in that role. If Dybala goes, then I think Juve is going to go all in and just get Icardi, which uh, they feel they can get him at a discount now because of the situation. And then I think Icardi is more of the classic striker that Ronaldo's played with like granted it doesn't have the work rate of Benzema and whatnot but uh that would work 
pretty well. As far as the midfield, I think Juve is banking on Pjanic, you know, being really energized playing for Sarri. I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's a little bit overrated. I think in a lot of ways people Mm. remember his great free kicks. And then, you know, with Ronaldo arriving, he's not taking as many free kicks. So people are like, oh, maybe Pjanic isn't that great. But I think Sarri really wants him to be kind of his new Jorginho. I think Ramsey, when healthy, is going to bring what Juve's lacked since Marquisio's last knee injury. So a midfielder who can create dynamic. Uh, Rabiot and Grant, that I don't want to overreact to preseason at all. He's looked pretty good so far. Uh, this is a good opportunity for him as well. And Juve believes a lot in Bentancur, the Uruguayan midfielder they got. In the Tevez deal, who I thought last season was quite good. Uh, he's, look, Sarri's developed a lot of midfielders while he was at Napoli. We had uh, Zielinski play really well there. I could see Bentancur have a similar uh, trajectory. So I think Juve's midfield, I think they decided, you know what, instead of Pogba, we're going to go get the lick because we need a center back as much as we do a midfielder. And we'll go with some Bosman signings. In the midfield, uh, considering the rest of the squad, I think it. I think you can win the Champions League with that midfield. But you know, granted, you're going to need another great season from Ronaldo for sure to make that happen. Last thing before I let you go, <clears throat> we had two unfortunate things happen yesterday. One, uh, Marco Asensio gets stretched off. He's uh, yeah torn ACL. Heartbreaking stuff because. Obviously, this could have been a comeback year for him, and he he was he was playing with a certain swag in that game against Arsenal um, before yep. it happened, and you saw his reaction devastating. Uh, Teo Hernandez stretched it off. I don't know actually <clears throat> the extent of Teo's injury with Milan last night. Maybe it you doesn't. Know. It's not. It's not a fracture. I mean, he definitely got a contusion. I have a feeling he's basically out the rest of the preseason. It's kind of a shame because he actually looked pretty good in okay. the first half, but it, it's not a fracture at least. So it, it could have been worse. So that that's good good news because i actually tried to see what was the latest with him and there was nothing that i could find which i thought was a, was a good thing probably because if it was yeah. we would have heard about it um obviously a real Madrid player, another former real Madrid player that could use the comeback season um this narrative floated around that i saw that maybe we should rethink going to the united states and <laughs> i i was and i thought to myself this injury could have happened anywhere. It, yeah. It, it's you can't really prevent these things. But I was I was redirected by somebody to an article in the Washington Post, which which went through um, the stadium where Real Madrid played at last night, which was FedEx Field. And apparently, there's a long track record of ACL mm. injuries on that pitch yep. because it's so terrible. So how? I mean, you obviously. You live in the States, and obviously I'm sure you would want to see teams come to here more often. But how can we prevent something like this? I mean, I I don't know if you have an answer to this, but it's clear there's something we got to do about this. Well, I agree with you. Like, I agree with your first point. Look, injuries can happen anywhere. A player can get injured in practice, not even a game. It could have happened in Madrid. And, you know, it's a terrible thing. Now, the thing of the pitch is you do make a good point. I mean, there are some pitches. Like, as an example, I live in Boston, the New England Revolution play where the Patriots play. And some big-name players will not play on that pitch because of the turf and they're afraid to get hurt. So I think there's definitely certainly something 
to be said about that. I don't think it's as much geographic as it is about the pitch. And maybe yeah. here, you know, the stadiums that they use from football are, are worse than others. So I think that's a valid point more than the geography. And look, the the reality is it makes perfect sense for clubs to want to come to the American market. I mean, there's really huge growth. You want Real Madrid and the Juves of the world to keep buying great players and all. I mean, this is part of how you make that happen. But what you mentioned about RFK field before we started chatting about this isn't something I had considered. And I think that's a really valid point. At that point, the clubs have to protect their assets for sure. David, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, I I have one more if you want. Please. I have a few more minutes. So yes. If you want one more. Okay. Um, what, what um, I guess, where do you see um, the resurgence of Italian teams in the, in the Champions League this year? Um, and I, I'm, I'm especially curious about Inter and to yeah. see how they do and what happens to Icardi. I... I saw you put out a tweet, and I'm pretty good at reading sarcasm. I, I don't know if I read it completely in yours, if you were serious or not, but you said that the the duo of, or the trio of, like, I think Icardi, Wanda, and Napoli is, is one that that uh, that seems logical. And I Yeah, and was, I wasn't but... kidding at all. Okay. Well, Can you I explain that one a, a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, Napoli is really quite a unique place i mean maradona is a god there maradona definitely is a flawed person with a very colorful person uh personality now icardi is very different he's extremely quiet almost way too deferential to his wife agent if you ask me like the complaint i have of icardi is he needs to own his career and not let his wife just run rampant but i think he, culturally he would fit there perfectly and when i look at sadia i mean if if you want sadia to be competitive icardi going to juve is the worst case scenario you're mm. making inter weaker you're adding him to juve they've known for taking the best players from their rivals uh i really want in napoli to get uh rodriguez if they don't icardi to me is a very good consolation prize like talk about a number nine perfectly suited for ancelotti i think too in napoli knowing that they took him away and he didn't go to juve would be great so no i wasn't sarcastic at all i know some people felt that I was, but I, when I look at the landscape of the league, I think it would be uh, tremendous. Like I think Inter's in a tough spot. I mean, Icardi would love to stay. Conte is not about players that are bigger than the group. So it's a tough situation. Uh, and I think for Inter, it would be a great way out because to have to sell him to Juve, which right now is kind of the only club he said he would consider it's a really tough pill to swallow. So if there's a silver lining on Napoli not getting Rodriguez, please let it be this. As far as Inter in the Champions League, I actually think Inter is going to be a good competitor for Juve. But I think this season they are going to focus more on Serie A. They are in the third pot, so they could be in a tough group. Last mm -hmm. season they were in the fourth pot. They had the group of death. They almost got out of it. But I think this season, Conte uh, really wants to challenge uh, Juve. So let's see what happens. But I hope he challenges Juve with Icardi at Napoli as opposed to Icardi at Juve. That's, it'd be fascinating to see kind of where that goes. And um, I, I still think like if you could separate some of the drama from Icardi and, or at least the drama that follows him 
yeah. some of it is not even his fault. Like he's just an unbelievable striker who's just kind of prolific yeah. at what he does. So um, there was a period where Real Madrid fans last season were like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. And I was like, I get that, but this guy can just score goals. And I mean, he's not right a, he's really not a bad guy. It's just the problem is look, you know, his wife in a lot of ways has done good for him. She's gotten him raises at Inter. She could have, you know, gotten him to another team, but he really wants to be there. I think ultimately what happened is this last time, they tried to get a raise for third season in a row. They uh, pushed really hard. There's new management at Inter, management, most of it that came from Juve that just handles things differently. And I think they just called their bluff and they're like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll call, we'll see your cards. And they got stuck. And it's kind of a shame because I think the situation isn't that bad that it can be resolved, but it's going to really... I think Icardi just needs to own his career now. So I don't think he's a bad guy by any means. I just think he's a very passive guy, if anything. So it's just amazing how, you know, his fall from grace. Because seven, eight months ago, we were talking about how his exit clause of $110 million was below market value. Yeah, yeah. And now Inter would be lucky to get maybe half of that. So it's just a shame. So... Uh, Real Madrid fans, though, if however down the road he's ever linked to the club again when he gets back on track, I think you should be excited of him because he really is a great player. Um, everyone listen to the Calcio Land pod with David and Moyo. Uh, follow him on Twitter. We'll link it all in the show notes. Uh, David, you're, you're awesome. Please continue to do great work covering Syria, and thanks for your time. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we did uh, the return leg. I think we have to do the penalty kicks on neutral field. So uh, <laughs> thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Quick break before we jump into part two with Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon to preview the Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid game on Friday and to talk about Marco Sierra and his red card, among other things. Uh, just wanted to give quick patron shout outs to our $10 plus patrons who support the show. You guys are all amazing. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DiStefani, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Christian Gonzalez, Leon Stavernakis, Solomon Ortiz, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Sergio Monleon, Ilian Zacco, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Patrick Odayafadi, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosnicic, Swaya Yala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yihin Liang, Karen Scherer, Ruben, Sobanshu Singh, Brennan Powers, Rovi Tariev, Amy L., Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Jack Edgar, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, and Anton Hackberg. Thank you. You guys are all amazing. And without further ado, part two with Jeremy Barron. Welcome to part two of the Managing Major Podcast. Thrilled as always to bring on friend of the show and, uh, and someone that we've recorded, I think, three or four now in the past month uh, podcast together which is, I, I normally wouldn't have expected the, to be this many in this short amount of time, but I did forget about that one preseason game we have against Atletico Madrid uh, coming up on Friday. So joining me to talk about Atletico and Real Madrid's game against them on Friday is Jeremy Baron of Into the Calderon. Jeremy, how you doing? 
Doing great, Keon. Thanks for having me, as of always. Of course, of course. How is the heat in AZ? It's not great. Uh, it's uh, going to be like 104 today, which, you know, sounds about right. It's also monsoon season, too, so we get some nasty storms at night. Mm. That That is worse than the heat during the day, honestly. That, does that mean it's kind of, it gets a bit humid there, then? Yeah, it gets really humid, and there's some really Ugh. windy, like, violent storms that can knock out your power. It's tough. Well... Um, you know what else is tough is losing Marcos Llorente to your rivals. Um, he got a red card last night. Three, the trifecta of disasters um, for for Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan. Asensio gets a terrible injury. Marcos Llorente gets a red card, and then Teo Hernandez gets a gets stretched off the field. Obviously, Marcos Marcos Asensio's situation is way worse than the other two's. Um, but how how has your preseason been so far? Um, the limited sample size you have. You you played against Numancia and last last night against Chivas Guadalajara, which you won on penalties. Was there another one, or is it, was it just those two? That's been it. Yeah. Uh, those are the only two friendlies that Letty have played. We 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 you and I have talked about Letty's transfer season to death. I don't think we're going to touch on that at all today. But in terms of what you've seen so far, um, what are you like? things that you pull away as talking points in the first two games there there are mostly what i've noticed are individual performances rather than from the team as a whole simeone is still playing with the 4-4-2 he's tried a bunch of different things in training uh he's worked with a diamond he's worked with a 4-3-3 but we haven't seen that in preseason so far i think some of that is due to not everyone being back uh Jose Jimenez, Santiarias, for example, are two guys who are still on vacation after the Copa America. Uh, but particularly, in, the, I think we learned more from the first game against Numancia than we did in the second because that's the game João Felix played in. Uh, we only saw him for half an hour, but he looked really, really good. Uh, very classy, took a lot of really silky touches, created an absurd chance for Diego Costa, splitting, I think, two or three defenders right down the middle. Uh, Costa didn't convert, but he... That's just an example of how wicked he is on the ball. Unfortunately, he only played half an hour because he got a, a contusion on his hip. It was a, an accidental collision. Uh, he did not play against Chivas on uh, on Tuesday night. Hmm. And I, I think that's one of the conclusions we can draw, actually, is that Atletico missed him. Atletico didn't have a true playmaker against Chivas, and that's why they looked very kind of bland as a team. Yeah, I... Uh... <clears throat> I, I obviously didn't watch that game. I, it, it, I think, overlapped a little bit with Real Madrid's game last night. And to be to be frank, I, I pretty much I'm out of every preseason game unless it's Real Madrid because I just uh, I'm not interested. But I did notice, like towards the end or after the game on Twitter, I saw the Marcos Llorente red card. And I, but I went in this morning. I was looking at the lineup um, again. I just some coming from someone I haven't watched, someone that hasn't watched Atletico in the preseason, but I've, I've heard that Vitolo looked good. Um, I guess one of the people I was curious about was Trippier because um, kind of a non-traditional Atletico Madrid wing back. And a lot of people seem to think because of Atletico signings, Simeone will want to play a different style of football, more attacking, maybe more more attacking from their fullbacks, although it's not like Juan Fran and Felipe Luis didn't necessarily do that, and Felipe Luis was actually quite good in the rare moments he went forward, but Trippier is a bit more um, kind of like his 
his his his game is a little bit more tilted towards the offensive side. So how did how did that dynamic look? Yeah, I think that's fair. That Trippier's game is a little more offensive than defensive. Uh, Trippier was good in 45 minutes. Uh, it's his second preseason match, and he's already on set piece duty, which I think does give you a bit of a window into what Cholo wants to do with him. Uh, I did a little bonus podcast of my own last night, and I kind of theorized that this is going to give Trippier an advantage over Santiarius, at least at the start of the season, is that Trippier is really, really good at set pieces. Mm. And Atleti have been crap at set pieces, really, for the last few years. So that's a an advantage that Trippier is going to have, that he can take free kicks. Uh, and Atleti do kind of need that influence from set pieces. Renan Lodi uh, started opposite from him, another pretty offensive fullback, very young uh, kind of unpolished, but could be a starter for the Brazil national team at some point in the future. He's going to get called up to the national team pretty soon. So, yeah, th- those, and I think you're right, those two fullbacks kind of speak to a different strategy. Whereas Atletico, Simeone in particular, wants a more uh, attacking strategy from his fullbacks rather than, and Felipe Luis and Juan Fran are two of the most unique fullbacks in their, in their primes. They were two of the most unique fullbacks in the world because they could do it both ways. Uh, Lodi and Trippi are not expected to be nearly as strong defensively, but they are going to attack more. And that's important because Atleti's fullback play was really not so good last season, in part due to injuries, but in part due to Felipe and Juanfran just aging out. Yeah. The last time we spoke, um, I think both of us thought that Hermosa would have been signed maybe next season and not this season because it didn't seem likely. And then there was a bit of a 180 turn. And uh, Hermoso is now an Atletico player, which is a great signing for you guys. Um, You started next to Savage against Chivas. How did did that dynamic look? Uh, Hermoso still has some work to do. Uh, Had a few communication issues with All Black, but he looked very strong. Uh, I'm really excited about the Hermoso signing. Uh, I'm really excited to see him paired next to Jimenez. Uh, the early returns were that he was okay next to Savage. Again, he's still kind of learning the system. But he did get his head on the ball a few times, looked pretty sturdy in clearances. Really excited about his signing. He's one of the best young defenders, not just in central defense, but also at left back. He's one of the best young defenders in La Liga. And Atleti got him on, that's a steal, for less than $30 million. Uh, Espanyol did play hardball, which they are entitled to do. But they realized that, Better to get something for Hermoso, even if half the fee goes to Madrid. Uh, better to lose him for something rather than nothing. Uh, Hermoso, I think, is is going to be terrific. And hopefully he's in the middle of this defense for quite some time. One thing, <clears throat> and I mean, I don't think anything that uh, we saw yesterday was was a premonition of how Simeone will line up next season. As you as you said earlier, a lot of people are still coming back. Some people are injured. Jao Felix obviously didn't play because of the Numancia injury. Um, with Llorente and Saul starting together, I am interested in seeing how that dynamic works because they are good friends. They looked good together at the under-21 level. Um, Llorente obviously gets a red card. What What do you think that midfield might look like it doesn't. It, it's it's probably not going to be a double pivot because um, Koke, you know, was on the bench, uh, or at least I think he came came off the field at some point. I, I mean, I'm not sure, but you imagine that those two will play together, right? Yeah, uh, Koke Koke came on at halftime, but then exited in the 70th minute. Oh, okay, it, that explains it. it. Seems like that was pre-planned. 
it, it, he wasn't carrying an injury. It seemed like that was that was planned, hmm. uh, thankfully, because we can't have Koke getting hurt. Uh, and yeah, on the Urente red card, it was it was just a really weird sequence. Uh, tried to head down the ball, uh, try to try to nudge it into some space, and then uh, I think Alexis Vega was the one who beat him to it, and then Urente just had to pull him back. It was. Uh, there were two pretty bad errors in about 10, 15 seconds, and it was a deserved red card. But it looks like he might be able to play Friday, uh, even oh. d- despite the red card. You're apparently, apparently, the ICC rule is that uh, if it's violent conduct, you can't play. But if it's nonviolent conduct, then you might be able to play. The rule wow. is on. So Urense might actually play Friday. I had no idea. I'm going to be at that game, and I kind of do want to see him play. But I that's news to me. I, I was just about to... Um, get you in on making fun of the tournament for carrying over red ter- red cards to the next game when it's such a meaningless tournament. But that's uh, that's interesting to know. I guess actually kind of like rule that makes sense in a preseason tournament, I guess, to have yeah. that loophole. Um, okay, well, yeah. that's interesting. So yeah. what do you think, what sh- as a Real Madrid fan watching that game on Friday, what are we supposed to expect to see? I That's kind of an unanswerable question. I, I realize that. Because if you ask me what... <laughs> what you should expect to see from a Real Madrid sector, I, I couldn't tell you. I no idea. You know, like Rodrigo and Kubo played the first game. They didn't play at all the second game. Bale came on at halftime last night and scored. No one could have predicted that. So I couldn't tell you what you're going to see, but is there any way you can give us a glimpse? Well, to answer your earlier question about the midfield alignment and who's going to play where, that's also, I couldn't really tell you, uh, because I think by the time the, the season rolls around, it could it could really be different. I can't really at this point, okay, I can see it happening, but with the personnel that Letty have brought in already this summer and could still bring in with you know with the potential for James Rodriguez to join, uh, I think you are going to see more of a diamond with Urante at the base of it, Sal and Coque ahead of him. Maybe it's Jao Felix playing at the 10, or maybe it's James playing at the 10. Uh, I can't really see Cholo sticking with Urante, Sal, and Coque as part of a flat four, but... He could. Uh, when you've signed Zhao Felix and you still have Thomas Lamar and you still have Vitolo, uh, it's kind of tough to continue doing that. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if Cholo did it, though. But I think where this might be heading is a diamond, where all three of them can play, uh, a diamond with no real natural wingers, and all three of them can see the pitch. You brought up James, and that I totally forgot I was going to talk to you about that and uh, I guess we should probably touch on it at some point I I wonder I and I, I'm not entirely sure what the answer to this is but I do wonder with Asensio's injury yesterday do Real Madrid look at James as uh, an option to just keep now because they need someone at that position and Zidane came out and said Bale, Bale's future has nothing to do with Asensio's injury, whether he with whether Asensio gets injured or not, Bale's situation is the same. I think they would probably extend that to James. Like to me, I think the more likely scenario for for Real is to pro- promote a bigger role for someone like Brahim or Rodrigo, uh, or or make it work with Vinicius on that side. Um or, or even just give more minutes to Lucas Vasquez, which all Real Madrid fans want to hear, um, <laughs> <laughs> instead of keeping one of James or Bale. Um, the reality is you may not be able to offload Bale anyway, so by default, maybe that is the answer, regardless of whether you want it to be or not. But I would at least look at that as 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 James, as the guy there, and I'm not sure why they haven't. But 
assuming you guys get Hamas. That that team suddenly for me the ceiling goes from a top three team to like a clear contender for the title and someone who can instead of like relying on one nil win, wins to actually like increase the margin of expected goals and and goal scoring from midfield which you guys need. I I imagine you'll probably not have to play Costa and Morata together anymore. You could probably just choose one of them and put Hamas in there over players like Lamar. What do you think that would even look like if you got him? Oh, man. Well, it'd be really exciting. Uh, there, at least in Atleti Twitter and even on our site, there's been some debate as to do Atleti really need to sign him? Where would he fit? Um, what does his track record suggest it's going to look like, et cetera? But I would be really interested and excited to see Hamez come over. Uh, I'm not sure what it would look like. I think Hamez is at his best as a pure 10. Uh, Simeone has really never played with a pure 10. And the closest one was Arda Turan. And that was, at, at this point, that was several years ago when Arda was in his prime. Uh, and Simeone has tried to make other players into Arda, but with little success, honestly. And Hamez is would be the closest thing to Arda Turan that Simeone's had in a long time. So he's versatile. He's a star. He's a global star. And he is he's not available for cheap, but he's available for a price that Atleti can afford, especially if they do end up offloading on Hel Correa, which is expected to happen this week or next week. Uh, they sell him to Milan. Uh, it's It will look interesting because Hamas can play a couple different positions. Uh, hypothetically, you'd like to see him as the 10 playing at the tip of a diamond. That would be most preferable. For me, at least, that would be most preferable. But yeah, Hamez gives this team a very different look, and it makes the summer look very, very different. It adds, it's a game changer if it goes through. Well, the question from Atletico fans, like, how does he fit? What, does he fit or not? Like, the answer is always yes for him. Like, it's it's yes, especially for a team like Atletico, who really do need to become more prolific in creating and scoring. So I imagine it would be interesting how they him and Jao Felix would coexist because Jao Felix can, you know, apart from being a, a goal scorer in the limited sample size we have him, of him as, at the top flight, can is really good at dropping deep and creating things from from deeper positions and, and going on that right side. But I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I mean, I don't love, I don't, I don't want to see you guys succeed, but um, if I'm an Atletico athletic fan, I would love to see what that would look like with James and, and Jao Felix together. Uh, oh, yeah. With the protection of Atletico's defense and Llorente and Saul and Coque backing them up, that's that's pretty pretty frightening, actually. Yes, it is. Uh, what do you think happens now with Asensio out? What's going to happen on that right side? If you had to make a prediction, like at this moment, like right now, what do you think is going to happen? My prediction is that Bale is going to end up staying, and that's Which would be crazy. What's that? That would be just. Considering what's been going on around him the last few days, that would just yeah, be really something. I understand, but like the 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 tone of Zidane and the way it changes every day, and the latest tone, and anytime there is there isn't a deal to be had, Zidane is basically saying that he's part of the squad. He's under contract. Nothing has changed, and this is what he said yesterday. Um, obviously, him playing and scoring and playing well um, at least buys him some time. Um, with the fans a little bit to get it back on his side and the board maybe, although 
what's clear is that no, in no universe should you let one game dictate how you plan your team with him or without him. But um, the reality is, like, as much as they want to move him, they can't right now. Like, we don't have any concrete deals happening. It just, it's not, it's not happening. So we can, only, we can say it's crazy for Bale to stay, but we also th- think it's crazy to name a team that would take him. So we don't really know. So my feeling is, by default, he stays. I could be wrong. He stays, and then that's their answer is that, um, you know, it's probably more minutes for Lucas Vasquez, and, and probably Bale will not be like a starter every game. But I also think Zidane is capable of putting things past him and giving Bale playing time. I don't think if Bale says he's going to be a de facto starter, I think he's going to still be, um, everyone's going to be still wondering when he's going to play. Is he going to play this game, that game? He probably doesn't play the big games. He'll probably be off the bench. Sometimes he'll be left off the squad altogether. But he'll be there, I think, if he stays. And and then you have one player that Zidane has been enamored with since coming back has been Brahim Diaz. Maybe he doesn't go out on loan anymore if if. Uh, if they if they think that they need him, other thing was that um, well, Zidane said that he likes Rodrigo on the right wing, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if he sees Rodrigo as an eighteen player or a Castilla player, but that that is an option. The other option is again, he's never been shy about playing Lucas Vasquez. So my gut feeling, Jeremy, is that they won't sign anyone and they'll just end up keeping Bale. And my ideal scenario still is just keep James because I still really believe in his capabilities and I think he can play on the right wing just fine and he can play multiple roles. He's he's um, he's versatile. The other thing is that what Asensio brings is that he can play deeper and kind of be play off of Isco and I think James can do that also. So if they're looking for someone that's not a necessarily a pure winger but can also play through the middle and swap flanks and and go down the middle, then then James is not as a good option there too. Um, I guess one thing that I wanted to end with was what the, this really insanely ongoing Griezmann saga, which Atletico have sent a complaint to La Liga that his player license should be revoked because Barcelona still haven't paid the full 200 million euro, euro release clause. Uh, which, you know, some people call this petty from Atletico and silly and childish, but if, they, if if what they're saying is true, eighty million is a lot of money to miss out on, just because um, they're expected to just be quiet about it and let it go because he's already in a Barcelona shirt. I I kind of see Atletico's perspective in in pursuing this, and I, the craziest thing was like a little over an hour before we started recording, Tebas says it's possible Griezmann won't be a Barcelona player, which almost is nonsensical at this point because he's already played for Barcelona in in a game. What the heck is going on? <laughs> uh, Atletico are trying to get maximum value for their former star player. Uh, yeah, it's this is just really never going to end. Uh, we're still going to be talking, writing about this for a while, I think, because this is now becoming a really kind of complex, messy, sprawling case. Yeah, Atletico's contention since the day Griezmann signed is that Barcelona did not pay his full release clause uh, because they agreed a deal with him when his release clause was still $200 million. So yes, Atletico are, are trying to snag an extra $80 million out of this deal. Uh, I think Tebas' contention that it's possible to block the transfer, 
Um, I'm not sure what that would look like. Like you said, he's already playing preseason games for, for Barcelona. I'm really not sure what that would look like. But La Liga is, it seems like they're going to give this, maybe not a chance, but basically a chance. Uh, Atletico did file a complaint. It wasn't just all posturing and talk. They are somewhat serious about this. And it looks like this this isn't going to be resolved very soon. It looks like this could be a, kind of a lengthy process. But yeah, still, Atletico are, and, and Griezmann are still tied at the hip, even though Griezmann no longer plays for them. It's very interesting and still tiring. It's still very tiring. Well, the uh, the timeline that Sport reported was that the matter will be resolved in 15 days. Um, so if that's true, then, and I, and I really hope it is true, then the saga will have an answer one way or the other in, in two yeah. weeks. Because it would be crazy for this to linger, like Griezmann's playing games in November for Barca and Atletico still want their 80 million. Um, but again, I I do get it. Like if they if they have proof of this that Barcelona, you know, got into contract talks with them at a specific date before the release date release uh, clause dropped, eighty million is a lot of money to to miss out on. So I I do see what they're doing. Yeah, and it's it's still kind of a he said she said uh, kind of thing. Uh, Barca have insisted that they didn't start talking to Griezmann until the end of May when he announced he would be leaving. Uh, Atletico insists that they have documentation showing that Griezmann signed for them in March. So who really knows who is right? Who knows? Uh, I guess that's for La Liga to decide in a sense. But we'll see. Yeah, a a solution in the next two weeks or so. That would be nice before the season starts and we can put this behind us one way or another. Um, This uh, La Liga season is still about a month away, but it'll, it'll creep up on us, I'm sure. And uh, Jeremy, look forward to watching the game on Friday. Hope you have a blast, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll cross paths for the next derby when it happens. Thanks for joining the show, buddy. Sure, we will, man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>